Welcome to the Bag Drop Untold Stories in Golf. Professor, good morning to you. Oh, it is a good morning. I got to play Sweetens Cove this week, so I am chipper. I'm feeling good, feeling connected back to golf. I'm, I'm ready to talk some golf and really excited for our guest today. You're, you are, it's like you're a different man after a round at Sweetens Cove. That's like your happy sauce, right? Oh, super happy sauce. And this day we had the course to ourselves, just 10 of us celebrating Architect's birthday. Uh, just uh, the, for the, the architect, Rob The Collins? architect, wow. Rob Collins. In the yeah. flesh? Guest coming up in a couple of weeks, I believe. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I've been uh, uh, excited for this one. We got an awesome guest coming on, Ashley K. Mayo. We got to ask her what K stands for, but uh, I, um, I'm, I'm excited for a lot of reasons. I just have so much respect for her career and what she's done in the game of golf. Uh, but I don't know if you know this. She was a collegiate golfer, Kevin. Really? Oh, yeah. Um, Virginia? Yeah. Yeah, she was a, so you know Cavalier, you and I right. being former collegiate golfers, she knows the pains of collegiate <sighs> golf. And I was doing some stat tracking, and uh, and I had to go deep. But we got to have ask her some questions about her her college golf career. Um, I but it made me reflect. I, the reason I brought, bring it up is maybe reflect on our college golf career. You, you uh, and I, I'm in a good place right now. Why are you bringing this up? <laughs> Um, you and I had an interesting, an interesting trajectory. Why, why do you think it is like we start so hot? And, and this is actually, I think, a theme of, of all college golfers or a lot, a big percentage. They start well their freshman year and then you see that scoring average, oh, sorry, your scoring average go up and their performance go down. Like y- y- you're the performance guy. What is that about? I mean, you're setting up my fact of the day on habits, but we could definitely talk about bad habits. But, you know, I, I think honestly, to be fair, like, College is a life changer, right? Like, I look back on a lot. I made a lot of bad decisions and I blame some on the coach that we had. And I think there's all sorts of blame and that does contribute. But also, you're just finding out who you are and you're growing into a different person. And I think, yeah, golf becomes different to a lot of us as we go through that. It goes from something competitive to something that's more holistic than that. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, uh, Insightful. What, what fan fact do you have for us this week? Yeah. So, habits, right? You know, I mean, what are my bad ones? I mean, what's the ones you always give me a hard time about? Drinking Mountain Dews, slugging Reese's Cups, that sort of stuff, right? I think those are the, the those shit, are the ones you maybe. give me. What 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 is, what's your bad habit? If you could get rid of one ha- bad habit, what would you do? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Procrastination. Yeah. Yeah, just putting things off, and and uh, you know, pro- probably combo of procrastination with. With social media, which is funny because of the the guests we're having today, who's so prolific in that game. But I I got to be better at at putting down the phone and putting on the screens and you know being present. I guess that's probably my my biggest uh, habit breaker. I'd like to to work on. Yeah, I think a lot of us. I mean, I was actually riding with uh, Kevin Brownie, Wake Forest former Wake Forest player, big golf nut, makes our golf flags right. Um, oh yeah. And we were talking about social media that, but yeah, changing habits really hard thing to do. Tons of wives tales out there on what to do and. You know, for me, being academic, I always wanted to know, like, what are the ones that actually are going to work, like, psychologically? Um, so one of the real good tricks you can do is really imagine yourself doing that habit a year from now, right? So, like, right now, you're like, oh, I need to break social media. Or for me, I need to stop eating chocolate. Um, love love chocolate, right? So it's easy. The to European say, chocolates. The fancy European uh, chocolate. you back from your just, world yeah, travels. Yep. Yeah, go to that duty-free store. Slam, buy way too many bars. So it's, like, easy to say, well, I'll start tomorrow, right? We do that, right? Uh, uh, no, tomorrow's the day I'll start breaking this habit. And then you just keep playing that role. So what you need to do is sit down and just imagine yourself doing that for a full year. Like, oh yeah, I'm going to start tomorrow. But then tomorrow I'm going to say, well, I'll start tomorrow. And then just fit like in your mind's eye, think of yourself a year from now making that same thing. And that's probably going to piss yourself off at you or piss yourself off at yourself, right? Like, wait, I'm just going to keep playing this game of starting tomorrow. So a year from now, I'm still going to be doing that. And that helps break your dopamine cycle, right? Because the habit, what happens is you get the dopamine spike and then as you're coming down off the spike, that's when the craving kicks in. Like, I need it, right? Yeah. And, and so that's how you, one of the tricks you can do to break that cycle is to make yourself pretty much mad at yourself because then that changes your body's chemistry and can help break that urge. So just imagine yourself, you know, really stepping through that process of, wait, in a year from now, I'm still going to be playing this game of tomorrow's the day I start. And that's one of the ways to kind of a quick trick to get you to start actually start the habit. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy to stick with, right? Um, there's the whole 21 to 28 days you really need to establish the habit. But it's a good way to jumpstart it is just make yourself mad at yourself. 
yeah, look at yourself 12 months ahead in, in, in that habit. That's interesting. That, I like that one. Uh, how much sugar have you had this morning, Kevin? Um, I'm clean this morning. I'm, All right. I'm, I might get cranky, but We're I'm here clean this morning. We're here with you, buddy. We think you, we know you can do it. All right. Well, uh, before you get cranky, let's get our, our guests on the show. What do you say? Let's do it. Uh, before, before we get there, special thanks to our sponsor this week, uh, the NV5 Invitational. It's, it's back, and it's got a new date in Chicago. So the path to the PGA Tour runs through Glenview, Illinois, when the NV5 Invitational presented by Old National Bank returns to the Glen Club on July 25th through 30th. Make the most of this summer by watching the game's future stars compete for a coveted spot alongside the legends of golf. Tickets are now available. And if you're looking for an upgraded experience, which I recommend, it's where I'll be hanging out, uh, the, the Hangar, presented by Corona Premier. It's a premium venue with food and drink included just off the 18th fairway. You see everybody finish up. Uh, you can check it all out at nv5invitational.com. Uh, all right, let's get to our guest. Ashley K. Mayo, welcome to The Backdrop. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. All this Sweetens talk. <laughs> we, <laughs> I mean, I see Kevin in Sweetens gear, drinking out of a Sweetens cup. It's, you know, it's it, awesome. It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's, uh, we're, we're always on the professor. His, his sugar habits are well-documented, but also his merch game. Yes. I think, Ashley, you'd be very proud of the professor's merch game. Loves yeah. it. Loves a hoodie. Loves a polo. Fresh, fresh stuff. I feel like we should go head to head. Who has stronger merch <laughs> under their if, roof? <laughs> if, if I if I win that, that's a that's a sad state, and, I, and my wife will not be happy. <laughs> She's always wondering. She knows, you know. I go every time I'm up to Sweden's. What's coming back in the bag? She knows there's going to be at least one item, if not five. You got to do it. Uh, my husband and I were having a serious discussion about this maybe last night or the night before. How many hats do we own? Just the two of us in this one house. How many hats? And at first I said a thousand. And he was like, no, it can't be. But then we were detailing it and it, it might be close. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> is, a thousand hats under a roof. There's a lot of hats. Yes. <laughs> What's your do, you ever, do you ever like downgrade or do you ever like send them out or, or cleanse? No. Yeah. Yes. Oh, all the time. Um, but for example, you know, I have these new 8 a.m. lids right here in my office Sharp. and there's about 50 of them that I just give out. You know, it's like I might send one to, to you, Matt, one to you, Kevin, um, you know, just be part of the 8 a.m. fam. Yeah, well, <laughs> so I, I, I that all adds up. That is that does add that does add up. And uh Ashley, I've been I've been excited. I know we had you on the calendar for quite a while to join us. I mean, I think you, your world is is so fascinating to me. I know you're a mother of two. I hear the, yes. the footsteps of of one of them over yes. there. <laughs> I just and, uh, I just realized I can't lock my office door from the inside. <laughs> I've made that realization before <laughs> on this show a couple times. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think I think you mentioned eight AM golf. You have like roughly nine jobs or full time jobs from my count. Uh, you, you maintain a golf game that, that seems to, by all appearances, seems to be, you know, pretty solid. And, uh, and obviously your social media presence kind of rivals major brands. So I just want to know what your daily dose of caffeination is, how you, <laughs> and, and, and where do I consume it? Yeah. Well, I'm drinking out of this Waffle House Adidas oh, mug right now. Yes. Brilliant. <laughs> so many this nods. This is my second cup. That. Yes. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, no, you mentioned UVA and playing golf there. I actually, I, I, my, I have an identical twin sister and we both played on the first women's golf team at UVA. And I recently saw that the team celebrated its 20th season. And I was like, I cannot be that old. <laughs> That's impossible. <laughs> um, I, but, I did yeah. see that in my, I did see that in my research. I wasn't going to bring up the year though, Ashley. Oh, I wasn't wow. going to yeah, throw you out I like know. that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I've been working in the golf industry ever since, but at 8am specifically, 8am is such a cool brand to work for because it invests or owns in now it's 14 different golf brands or entities. You know, now we're, we're into events now. So is the 8am golf invitational its own brand? 
Absolutely. And that now operates at, as its own entity. Um, so it's 14 different brands on any given day. You know, on my desk right now, there are papers about threes, which is a par three concept, 12 hole par three concept. Um, about golf magazine and golf.com, um, true spec Mira. So it's, it's a really cool, um, chance to, to stay within golf, which is my passion, but, uh, work across industries really, really broadly. So Ashley, I brag on you and 8am a lot in my golf circles as I'm going around. Right. And, and one of the striking and immediate reactions is that most uh, most golfers have is they don't know the 8 a.m. brand. They're like, yes. wait, what's 8 a.m.? So I yeah. would love to give you the opportunity to tell our audience, like give that elevator description of 8 a.m. golf, including all these little this, these little subsidiaries underneath it and everything. You know, what what should I respond to them when I when they ask that question? Yeah, 8 a.m. itself was never meant to be a household name. It's a holding company. That's it. It's a holding company that owns or invests now in 14 different golf brands. Uh, and it, I think it became a little more consumer facing um, when Justin Timberlake became a partner and investor. Then it was like, oh, OK, now we're going to do this 8am Golf Invitational, which is a celebrity, a charity celebrity golf tournament, which in two years has raised more than a million dollars for American Skin Association. Wow. Um, now, now Justin is the co-host of that tournament. Now, well, now AM is becoming a little bit more of its own entity and its own brand. But certainly, the intention was just to have uh, to 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 establish AM as a holding company that owns or invests in fourteen different golf companies. And really, our main goal, in a nutshell, is to help golfers have more fun. Whether that means making Mira a little more accessible. You know, Mira, when 8am purchased it about five-ish years ago, was this very elusive brand that was very hard to find and hard to get your hands on. Now it's still mysterious, but it's a lot more accessible um, to the masses and certainly to us in the US um, and, and so on and so forth. So that that kind of investment means looks very different uh, depending on what brand you're talking about. Um, but but yeah, that's in a nutshell, that's what 8AM is. It's a holding company. I, we'll, we'll, well, I want to come back to some of the brands and <clears throat> and your work there because, again, I'm, I'm just fascinated by it. But I, I want to kind of have you take our uh, our listeners down your kind of career path a little bit and and maybe life, life in golf, because you've had this really enchanted life in golf, Ashley. I think you're you're proud of that, you know, and all the things yeah. you've been able to do. Um, we, we met briefly at the uh, 100-hole hike at Sweetens. And yes. one thing I, I, I learned from that initial uh, convo was you're, you're a native Manhattanite. Yes. Um, which made total sense to me. I just feel like you, just your energy and your your kind of your grit and your your uh, uh, focus and ambition, like that screamed New York to me. And I'm like, oh, okay, this tracks, this tracks. <laughs> but I wanted to to ask you what um, what it was like growing up in Manhattan, yeah, and being a golfer growing up in Manhattan. Right. Yes, I was born and raised in New York City in Manhattan. Um, which, you know, you see strollers there, whatever you go. So it, it's possible. Um, but, you know, I have an identical twin sister. We also have an older brother. He's seven years older, so significantly older. And we had a single mom in New York. We definitely did not play golf. Uh, golf was not on our radar. Uh, we went to, you know, public school and just kind of survived, <laughs> Um but my mom, um, who also she she actually grew up with nothing. Um, she's from she's Cuban and she came to the States without her mom. She never knew her dad. She, she came to the States without her mom when she was 12 years old, when the revolution happened in, uh, in 1961. Um, and she grew up with foster families in New Jersey, uh, about six, no, five different foster families. Uh, and she eventually reunited with her mom when she was about 22, but 
She's a she's a total survivor. Uh, and because of that, she wanted to give us everything. And when we were 14, no, when we were 13 years old, we went to Miami because we have naturally family in Miami being from Cuba. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, and we took a golf lesson because why not? My mom just kind of wanted us to try everything uh, and took a golf lesson, thought really not much of it. But when we went back to New York and started high school, I just kind of played on the boys golf team at Brooklyn Tech. My sister played on the boys golf team at Bronx Science. It was totally not the cool thing to do. This was in 1999. Like Tiger had just started becoming a thing. And, you know, we, here we are to like, you know, dweeby little girls hopping on the subway to go to high school with our golf clubs. Uh, You really never saw that. Anyway, we went back to Florida summer after ninth grade and uh, played a little more. And, you know, it was our first legit golf tournament. And at Brooklyn Tech, as you can imagine, the the, the golf team is not really legit. Um, the matches are nine holes at best. <laughs> and, you know, it's it a was a fun nine. experience, a but nine. it was a loose nine, yes. <laughs> um, but when we went back to Florida for a, just a vacation, summer vacation, um, we played in our first like proper two day golf tournament. And that's when golf became a sport and like this kind of thrilling sport for both of us. Uh, even though we shot, I think one round was in the hundreds. Uh, one round was in the high nineties. It became fun. And we ended up moving down there, just moving. Never went going back to New York. We finished high school, those three years of high school in Miami went to public high school in Miami, which is like, I think was once rated the worst county for public education <laughs> because there's so many Spanish speakers and it's just such a, it's such an issue there. But, um, but you know, we, we, we actually ended up going for attendance to, to the high school. The public school system in New York city is amazing. And we had a great base for our education, So we ended up going to uh, high school in Miami just for attendance and then leaving and heading straight to the course. We became range rats, total grinders. I love love this. Yeah. (laughs) And then we played uh, at Doral, a junior golf tournament. And that's where a high school or a college golf coach uh, who was starting, she was given this task of pulling together the first women's golf team at UVA, um, she saw us playing and obviously we weren't the strongest golfers in the field. We had just, we were still new to the sport considering relatively. Uh, And, but she really loved the way that we carried ourselves on the golf course. We were just positive. We clearly still loved it. We weren't jaded yet. and, and she said that was important in this first team. You know, she she obviously targeted some really strong players, but also wanted some just good teammates. And and so she uh, she asked us if we wanted to go to EVA. And so we wow. we signed up, you know, we kind of sent in our applications for UVA and applied to just two colleges. UVA was our reach school. University of Miami was our safe school. And we got into UVA, and so we got onto the golf team. <laughs> wow! Yeah, I, I had no I, idea of that that whole origin story with you and, and the golf, Ashley. That's awesome. I mean, yeah. think of that. You like, I hope the audience recognizes you started what 13, 12, 12 or thirteen. First time you hit a golf ball, and 13, then yeah, you're going to one of the best academic institutions in the United States to play golf within like four or five years, right? That is like I know uncanny. Like kudos, uh, applause. What have we accomplished, Matt? It should. Well, I was, I was like Ashley avoiding class to go hit balls. I did that a lot. The the professor ironically was the exact opposite. Kevin, I think took a college scholarship to play golf so that he could avoid the golf course and and go to school. Kevin loves school so much. I mean, you can tell by the equations on the wall. In video games too, right? Like school offered an opportunity to just hide out in my dorm room and play video games all day. Drink Mountain Dew and play video games for sure. But that is, uh, uh, yeah, that's a remarkable feat uh, that you, and you got to share that with your sister. What was that like? I think that was the real key, especially being a female new to the sport. Um, 
I think when females have each other or like a, some kind of social system, golf becomes a lot less intimidating, a lot, a lot more approachable, a lot more doable. Whereas guys, I feel like, of course, having that social crew helps, but guys are much more just lone warriors and they're good just competing with themselves. And you don't have the, the men typically, and I'm painting very broad strokes, but um, men don't typically feel that, that level of pressure that women feel because they kind of just innately belong. Whereas for some reason, golf is still kind of a men's, it's becoming less and less so, but it's a male dominated space. So yeah, I think having my twin sister was a definite key. And whenever anyone asks me, oh, my preteen daughter really, you know, I, I want her to get into golf. What should I do? I was like, well, it, this is hard to do, but she's got to have like a friend or two who really wants to get into it with her. Um, so if you can sign her up for a golf camp or um, make it for more social and more fun and less about the score, then you're off uh, on the right path. I, I had a number of questions because I know this is a very passionate area for you, Ashley, and, and women participation in golf. I think as a journalist, you started, was it was the publication women's golf or what was the first uh, job? Golf for women. Golf for women. Was my first job out of college. Yes. Um, I started a week after graduating. I was 21 and, um, and it was owned by Golf Digest. So. Owned by Golf Digest. Yeah. So that, that, that was there. And I, I think I, I, I was reflecting on, you know, doing, uh, I'm a medium sized J. Kevin's a, a small J. He's an academic. I like to get into the journalism a little bit and do some research. And as I, I was digging, I, I actually reflected on, uh, I mean, you're roughly 10 years at Golf Digest. During that 10 years, and I think this is a tremendous compliment to you, Ashley, my wife, I, I, we, she uh, grew up learning the game, played in high school, kind of very similar to your story of just wanted it to be social and, uh, you know, wasn't about the score, wasn't about competition. Um, she got back into like reading about golf and watching golf. And I remember it partially because we started dating at that time, right? And I'm a total golf nerd and she has to, yeah. she wanted to kind of hang in the conversations. But she called out Golf Digest and and I, I'll never forget, we were driving and she was reading some headline and telling me about this and that. And I go, what are you, what are you reading? She goes, oh, I, and I swear to you, she goes, I only read Golf Digest at the at the time, right? When, and yeah. this is, I'm talking about your like, you know, probably six, seven years into what you did for them and, and growing, basically building their social media. That's where my, my wife got her golf news. And, and I asked why, like, cause I'm, I'm kind of deep in the scene. I like going the alternative yeah. golf media, we'll call it. Um, and so she said that she goes, they, they, they talk to me as a woman more clearly. It just, it, I feel like it's my, my place to go. And I, and I, I was reflecting on that today as I'm reading about all the stuff you did at your 10 years in golf digest. And I just want to share that with you. Like oh. she truly felt that she doesn't know you, Ashley, but she totally, like, I know you were behind so much of the content and, and all this was that intentional is the, the long winded question. Uh, I could set a record for my long questions, but, uh, <laughs> that, that was that intentional on the, the female demographic? Uh, you know, it, it's obviously broad strokes and everybody's a little different, but did did you say, hey, my time here, we're gonna we're gonna build this social media presence that's now one of the largest in golf, but we're gonna do it for new audiences. We're gonna do it for females specifically. Was that like part of your mission? Yeah, it, that's always been an interesting topic because you know a lot of times people who are creating either content or clubs or anything for golfers, they are men. Um, and here I was, a, a female, being for a number of years, the only person to publish any of the social posts that you saw from Golf Digest. I think it, it was for five years that I was literally the only one. And in the beginning, it was a part-time job. You know, it was just like I identified this as a space that was about to boom. And I wanted to make sure that Golf Digest wasn't left behind. Um but, you know, when whenever we would talk about, hey, what is what does golf content for women look like? How do we speak to women? I would always remind everyone that we're just people <laughs> like we don't need our information wrapped in pink and, you know, exuding glitter. Like it's just we are just people who are want to be treated like golfers. Um, and sometimes it, it's it helps to 
just remove all the lingo and the mm. acronyms and yeah. the inside talk or the, the, the terms. Remove all that and just speak like a normal person. And then that will help you not only to speak to women, but just people who are getting into the sport who might not be as in the weeds as you, Matt. <laughs> right, right. Um, I mean, that kind of content will still speak to you, but it will not feel so exclusive or so insidery. Um, and so that was our real goal. It's not necessarily how do we speak to women, but how do we just speak in a friendly, inviting way? Um, and and I, I think now we're, we're doing that with um, at Golf Magazine and Golf.com too. Uh, and really just speaking positively. Uh, I feel like, yeah, that's, that's our, our big goal. Um, you know, even the fact that I started at golf for women magazine, uh, is kind of interesting because what I I find myself asking, like, what even is that? Like, (laughs) because ultimately we are just people who want to play golf and want the same information that you're probably seeking out. I, I, I couldn't agree more with that. I the uh, kind of a follow up to it is that, like you mentioned, the the, the male dominance of of golf and a lot of the decisions. So maybe stepping away from content for a second and more into just like the broad golf experience. I know you know five percent of our membership in New Club Golf Society is female, and uh, we we talk to them a good bit, and we have uh, most of our staff is is female as well, and everybody kind of agrees that like yeah. A lot of the places we go just aren't very welcoming to the to us. Yes. And I, I just I'd love to get you've you've spent a lot of time thinking about this topic. Like what what support needs to occur for culturally golf to kind of get with it like other industries where it's no longer, you know, treating women a certain way, treating men a certain way. It's it's treating golfers a certain way and it's it's a broad application of everybody can enjoy themselves at these places. Yeah, I think we're seeing a shift toward that. You know, now that the NGF shows that 25% of golfers in the U.S. are female, that's not a small percentage. You know, that's the biggest that it's been since they've been keeping track of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's only, and it's the also the lar- the fastest growing segment of uh, new golfers. So that trend is only going to continue to go up. But it's really just small things. Um, I mean, the public golf system and then the private golf system have very different answers to that question. Yeah. And then also there's content, there's clubs, there's... So it really, that question is difficult to answer with one broad stroke. But in terms of the golf course experience, it's little things like making sure... uh, the if, if if at private clubs the locker rooms have equity <laughs> uh you know a, a lot of men's locker rooms have like a whole area with card tables and like they just sit there and drink and like play and socialize um i i have seen that maybe just a, a small number of times um but women's locker rooms are tiny you know and they're they're not a place to hang out and socialize and i get it like financially it's hard to support that because the the participation isn't there. But if you're a new golf course, uh, wondering how to make uh, you know yourself friendlier to women, it's little things like that that really uh, you know equity in the pro shop and like representation, um, making sure there's restrooms out on the course because the course is not our restroom. If you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and. And yeah, it's it's the little things like that, um, m- making sure also that there aren't men's only areas that are not outside the locker room. Um, I think I see that way too often at private clubs where, you know, I have to have the 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 host who's bringing me to these courses order me my drink from a female bartender, by the way. You know, so it's like that's not the, the, the nicest experience. Um, and then, you know, in terms of clubs and equipment, uh, you know, just because uh, the shaft is L-Flex doesn't mean it has to be pink or pastel (laughs) or the female colors of a golf shoe, you know, the the kind of female version of this new shoe that, let's say, brand X drops doesn't have to be pastel. Um, Like it just uh, when when those things happen, I can I, I know right away that 
nothing about the shoe is engineered for a female foot. It's just the aesthetic. And some guy saying, oh, women like pastel, so we should just offer this in pastel. Um, so anyway, it's, it just depends on the industry, but I feel like overarching, like the, the, the nutshell version, the answer of this is women just overwhelmingly want to be treated like people and like golfers um, and making sure that we have the same kind of comforts or uh, attention to detail that kind of men receive is really all we ask for. So, yeah, yeah, that's... I feel like you just called out my country club. <laughs> right? It's, it's absurd. It's like literally yeah. everything you went to, I'm like, check, 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 <laughs> check, check. And it's, 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 it's crazy. Like I think a great example, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to throw my country club under the bus. Like this might get me in trouble, but when my wife comes up there, she, there's nowhere for her to order a drink. There's just like, she would have to get, sit down at the mixed grill, you know, they come over with the menu, whatever, like. That's the only way she can order a drink. Now I can go to the men's grill and just go right up to the bartender, which could be a female, just like you said, and sit there at the bar and have drinks and slug them back and just run there, grab, go out to the course. But no, yeah. she can't do that, right? And it's just, she says it very appropriately. Like, I don't feel welcome there. Like, just, I don't feel welcome. I'm like, yeah, yeah. That's, that's spot on. One of, one of the best things on the internet of the last couple months was Haley Ledbetter's Women's Country Club. Yes. And calling out the hypocrisy of all this and how silly it is. And Kevin, you should just send that to your general manager, man. Like I, I did. I personally did. I sent to a couple uh, friends in the industry of like, hey, God, this is this is you, you know, flipped. Uh, and you go check that out on YouTube. Uh, Haley did such a good job with that. She's fantastic. Yes. And I mean, talk about someone who's grown up with the sport and knows the ins and outs. Yeah, she, that was really fun to watch. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ashley, is this something, you know, within 8 a.m. then and everything you do there, like you give direct intentionality to with everything? Like think about, okay, how can we increase women's participation and just treat everybody as golfers? Or has it become just so implicit in your operating that it's just a natural thing that you do? Yeah, it be, it's become quite implicit. Um, I'm not sitting in every meeting being like, what about the women? <laughs> I My question is... I always think about the audience or the consumer and whatever the brand is, just how is how is person X going to receive this information and or experience this brand and how can we make it the most positive or the most fun, the most seamless, the most premium um, way or, or, or experience. Um, and so I, I'm not necessarily thinking about women specifically, but again, because I feel that women just want to receive information or experience certain things um, really simply and just like uh, seamlessly, um, then we're, we're going to be serving them just inherently. Uh, when we think about this larger goal of, you know, it's hard to talk about 8am and, and its goals broadly because of the various brands underneath it. But if we're going more specifically in like golf magazine and golf.com, um, we want to, we want those entities to be a positive escape. Uh, you know, golf is a, is a thing that just kind of like what you said, Kevin, you got energized on Monday and I feel you, I, I was in the slumps in, in my golf kind of life last summer. And then I went and played, I think it was either 27 or 36 holes at Sweetens and it like breathed life into my game. <laughs> it has this magical way to do that. Um, but, but golf is an escape for so many people. It's not their jobs. It is their way to unwind. So golf magazine and golf.com want to be that place for people to escape. We never want to write the gotcha article or, um, dig dirt on pros or, you know, we want to provide this escape and, um, and we want to tell beautiful stories. So that's what we're doing there. Um, with, say, Mira, we want to offer golfers the chance to buy the finest hand-forged sets of irons that they could ever imagine buying. Um, so whether that's aspirational, if that's aspirational for some people, we want to provide them content and information as to 
what makes uh, a hand-forged iron so wonderful. If it's not aspirational and you're part of that lucky group of people, fortunate group of people who can afford to buy a set of uh, mirror irons, then here they are. We're, we're here to provide you with that actual experience. So it, it just depends on which brand you're you're uh, focusing on. But uh, yeah, I think, I think ultimately we just want to help golfers have a blast and in their journeys, whether that means before their rounds, during their rounds or after their rounds. That's uh, you bring up rounds. I'm jumping around a little bit, but I, I don't want to glance over your college career because I, I already asked the professor about this and I'm going to ask you the same thing. Um, well, a pre-question, are you and Kira competitive? Do you guys have a little sister, sister? I feel like twins are less competitive than when, when my siblings are much older than me. Yeah. So I'm really competitive with them, but yeah. are, are you guys competitive? I, healthy in a healthy way we okay. were yes all right so I, I got some questions about the college career here Ashley oh boy you, I you haven't put, even <laughs> thought about this. Get right. you, you, you put into context <laughs> you put into context uh these numbers are so impressive from an average knowing that you hadn't been playing that long like this is wild we had not been playing that long no so uh, and it's the inaugural team at Virginia 0304 season Yes. Uh, Ashley and Kira play 13 rounds, kind of the full season. Ashley averages a 83.60 scoring average. Uh-huh. And Kira averaged at 84.92 scoring average. Okay. Um, so that's that's 0304. 0405, I couldn't find any golf stat data. I, did you guys actually play a golf season that year? There's but, nothing. Oh, yeah. Remember, this is the early days of the internet. <laughs> okay, good, good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I we're, think we're it just wasn't tracked. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we, we definitely played. So this this kind of follows uh, Kevin and I's career to a T. Uh, you and Kira were like Kevin and and Matt at University of Akron golf team. We oh five oh six. Ashley plays two events, only four rounds, eighty three point seven five. Kira plays two events, four rounds, eighty four, and then oh six oh seven is is very similar. So w- what happened, Ashley? Why why did we did college get too fun? Were you out no. late partying? Oh. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. What well, happened that, that's was- projection right there, Ashley. Just so you know, that was projection. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Kira, my sister, became a doctor. This is not she, coffee, by the way. <laughs> she went on to go to University of Virginia Medical School. She became a dermatologist, which is like the cream of the crop in terms of... <laughs> so, And then I ended up switching my major halfway through college because I realized I didn't want to be a doctor. And um, and really doubling down in my studies. So if anything, we, the partying became less. We, we definitely did not party. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess being a doctor, you could, that could be an I, excuse. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> what happened was the golf team got strong and like really strong. So our our function, my sister and I, uh, on the golf team during our first year was to just lead with our attitudes. <laughs> So it was cool. never to to be one of the stronger golfers. And then the team, there was some buzz around it. And our coach was able to recruit some really good golfers. And we just didn't make the travel squad anymore. <laughs> so that is- that's, that's why we didn't play as much. Um, it's because we got just kind of knocked down the totem pole. I mean, we still See? very much were part of the team and practiced and hung out with the team. They were our sorority for sure. See, this is what I tell the professor uh, yeah. all the time, Ashley, is the numbers, stats don't tell the story, Kevin. See, I told you, those stats, you can't, that, that is a beautiful the, uh, answer to that question. Let me just point out the difference. How long did it take you to graduate? Me? Like, oh. oh, me? You're talking about- well, then we're gonna go Yeah, like six first. or seven years. Yeah. You know, a lot and, of doctors and, go and to Ashley, school. And Ashley, well, I, I believe you, grad, did you graduate in three years technically? Or Three and a half. With yeah. a major change in there? Yeah, double but Kevin, major. I was involved yeah. in the community. I had a lot of activities going on. <laughs> you were you were the vibe guy for our team, Matt. I'll give you that. And you, Thank you. You were the vibe hey, guy. Hey, that is important. Bringing tried, the vibe, establishing the vibe, you are the MVP. <laughs> I, tried, I tried my hardest. But yeah, that, that's like such an accomplishment again that, you know, the team got, not only you started the team, but you they got good and, and, and carried oh, on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they awesome. got they got really good. Certainly... While I was still there, the last year, I, I didn't play that final season because I did end up going to moving to New York to work for Golf Digest. Um, but the team after, right, shortly after I left, started, you know, competing and really contending in national championships. Won a couple. So, or I don't know if they won a national championship, but certainly ACCs. They, they won a couple ACC championships. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. 
That's uh I'm gonna ask another projection question here and also a very selfish question. Selfish, I think both Matt and I selfishly have this question and we wanna learn from you on this. You know, you talked about the slump you went through in golf a year ago. And I was wondering, you know, as golf has become a business aspect for you, how do you balance golf as a business and golf as a place where you have enjoyment? Is that a tension for you where sometimes you like when you're out there playing, even if it's casual, you're like, you still feel like it's work. And how do you, if that is the case, because that, that is the case for me, like as I get more into golf or start golf businesses, all of a sudden it becomes a job. College golf became that for me. And that's why I left for 10 years. Um, so yeah, to yeah, educate us. Like how do you balance golf as a business being integral to your, your business identity as well as you want it to be in a, a place of enjoyment? Well, I think that my golf is my work. It's just, it really helps that I know that I understand a golfer and I understand what a golfer wants and expects. Um, And so it's not necessarily every time I play, I have to create some kind of content. And so then I feel that pressure and then I can no longer play. That's not the nature of my work. I think if I were an influencer, that would be the nature of my work and it would grind on me. Uh, And I wouldn't be able to use golf as that escape. I'm absolutely not an influencer. Like I have never made a cent off my, I feel very fortunate that I get a paycheck every other week. (laughs) And that paycheck is because I understand golfers and I understand the golf landscape, not necessarily because I play and like watch me play, you know? Um, So I think because of that, I've been able to really keep my golf life fun and, and feel fun and not feel like work, even though, Hey, like, you know, I understand that when I do play, it would be beneficial if I did share and try to, you know, create some kind of value out of my round. But Um, But ultimately, I know that that's not my real place in the golf industry. My real place is to make sure that the 8am brands um, kind of deliver the content or the experiences or the products that they should be delivering because I know what a golfer wants. Um, So, yeah, in that way, golf is still playing golf is still a wonderful escape for me. Um, and, and especially more so now that I do have kids, I, you know, bring my, my oldest more, more than my younger, um, out to the course and I get to experience that. It's just like it, I, golf has always been such a beautiful sport for me to play. I've never taken it for granted. I've never felt frustrated by it. I think the times that I've gotten closest to that is playing competitively at, at UVA, um, but as soon as I started working at Digest and didn't care about getting the ball in the hole or how many strokes it took me to get the ball in the hole. Um, golf has remained just like a beautiful escape, uh, re- just full stop. Yeah. That's refreshing. Yeah. I, I picked up on, on you, you got the soul of a golfer through and through, uh, that hundred hole hike, that group that we had at Sweden's like everyone had so much fun with that and it was so hot and it was so many holes, but I, so I hot. Just, I, I talking to you there, Ashley, I just got like, man, she does. This is, she, she's maintained. And that's why I think Kevin and I really respect people that, you know, him and I both started golf businesses. We've been in this for a little while, but we really respect the people that like have made it their career, their vocation, but continue to love it, you know? And, and like, kudos to you just for, for making sure that that's front and center. Yeah. Well, thank you. I think it's never lost on me that if you're on the golf course, you're doing pretty good in life. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, we're, we're, we're very fortunate. <laughs> um, speaking of fun, the 8am invitational just yes. wrapped up recently. Um, tell, tell us about that. Like, what is it like running something of that magnitude? I couldn't imagine, like I get stressed out when we have 32 new club members getting together for an event. You had 28 like mega celebrities, <laughs> golf obsessed celebrities it all for two days in Vegas. Like what, give us, be honest. What was that like running something like that? Yeah. It's like when you're hosting a party, you think, oh, this is going to be awesome. Like a few months out, this is going to be the best party. I'm going to bring my network. My people are going to show up and I'm going to deliver them a good time. And then the week before you're like, wait, is anyone going to show up? Uh, (laughs) Wait, can I deliver? (laughs) 
And then you get that like fear that hosts get. Um, but then yeah. everything turns out to be great. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think we went through a similar thing with the 8 a.m. Invitational. Obviously, it helps when said host is Justin Timberlake. People show up for him uh, and they respect him. And um, it's really wonderful to see that kind of love and admiration. Uh, but more more than anything else, I think people showed up also because they knew they were going to have a great time. Uh, this was the, our intention was to make a, a celebrity charity golf tournament <clears throat> that's unlike any other um, and doesn't feel corporate, doesn't uh, kind of place that pressure on score uh, and literally just revolves around having fun and the hang and the vibe. Uh, and that I know that's what Justin's goal was. Uh, that's what 8am's goal was consequently. Um, and, and we were able to deliver that in spades during year one. Um, but we didn't have any sponsors in that whole layer. So obviously you could deliver a good time if there's not that added kind of layer of a sponsor or any kind of corporate layer. Year two uh, we, you know, definitely want to turn this into some kind of business <laughs> and did bring in sponsors. So that was our big goal was how to how do you keep the fun, keep the hang, keep the vibe, but uh, had that layer of sponsors. And we were able to do that. Uh, we delivered a, an incredible client experience. Um, the celebrities still felt like they could be themselves and totally felt that they were hanging out with their friends who had the same love for golf that we did. Um, and, and yeah, it, it, it turned out great. I think because we focused on the fun. Yeah. It, it looked like, like a blast and, and how much money did you guys raise for that one? Yeah. So in two years we raised more than a million dollars for mostly for American skin association, but also for some other charities like serious fun, Jimmy Fallon's, uh, supports that one. And uh, yeah, so it's been wonderful. Um, and we, we, in, in future years, we only continue, we, we expect that to continue to just exponentially rise. Professor, I think we should invite uh, Mr. Timberlake to our charity classic this year down in Atlanta. I mean, they, that, that sounds like we might be able to like up our goal a little bit if we had a couple of these celebrities. I mean, maybe not 20, <laughs> maybe not 28, but maybe we can get like one or two and start hitting some of these, these goals. Uh, that's actually, that's really, really, uh, it looked like just such a fun event. One thing that, that caught my eye about it was uh, the professor and I talked uh, in ridiculous amount of time on uh, dress code in golf recently on this show. And one thing that caught my eye with uh, with this crowd, I mean, obviously a lot of very influential people, but the fashion trends, I, I just, it was like, I just kind of paused. I was like, man, there's a lot of different style in that group. And, and so much of it like kind of qualifies as the, tr- like, I don't want to say traditional country club code, but like, like it, it's there, right? It's they, they yeah. look nice. They're not like you know rolling out in in sweatpants. It's like they looked really sharp, and but there were so many different styles. It it really made me think like this is hey, golf needs this. Like golf so badly needs to update our our uh, um, acceptance. It's like kind of back to our your, your point on you know talking to everybody as they are. Like there's so many different outfits that need to be worn on golf. And what what, what were your thoughts around that? Was like that intentional? Was fashion supposed to be a part of it? Well, yeah. I mean, Grayson was one of our sponsors. Okay. Uh, and a lot of Jordan out there. <laughs> a lot of Jordans Ooh, on people's feet. A lot of Jordans. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, and so it was fun to see how these um, golfers, I call them golfers, not celebs. <laughs> We're all golfers. <laughs> they happen to be celebrities. But in that, in those two days, three days in Vegas, they were golfers. Um, it was fun to see how they kind of wore their golf clothes in a way that didn't make them look like it, like golfers or preppy mm. or, you know, like they could then go elsewhere and most most of them could just blend right in, uh, in the casino, on the strip, whatever. Um, and, and that was fun to see. It was like they knew that for those three days, they could just be themselves. Uh, they didn't have to, you know, a- abide by any kind of strict codes and that's what they came out with um yeah. 
you know, Jimmy Fallon put a lot of thought into his outfits. They were great. Yeah. That Gucci cardigan. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Look out Sinatra. He's like the new, I mean, it looked, I I, honestly, I looked at his sweater. I was like, I'm going to get some freaking cardigans and start playing golf in it. Yes. Like those look so good. I know. It was so fun. Um, And then I remember going to a more traditional golf event, maybe a few weeks after. And then you see all the just, you know, the more classic styles. And I was like, dang, you know, I I didn't realize that when I was in Vegas, how much I appreciated this flair that I saw. And it was just like I was surrounded by it. And it was so fun. So it's fun to see people kind of be able to express themselves in a fun way on the golf course now where that wasn't really the case 20 years ago, 15 years ago. It's always amusing how the traditional golf gear, like, yeah, you walk in anywhere, not a golf course, and you look so out of place immediately, oh, yeah. right? Out of place. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. All right, before we let you go, I got to I gotta take advantage of this opportunity with you with you on with us to ask about the, uh, the upcoming Nashville Club project, right? I know we've got a, a near and dear friend, uh, I think that's going to be involved with it on the golf course side, but, you know, what's... What's going on there? How'd that come about? Yeah, Rob Collins of yeah. King Collins. Yes, he is going to be, we've hired him to design this golf course in Nashville. It's about, it's just 12 minutes north of downtown Nashville. So if you kind of understand the golf scene in Nashville, you would know that a lot of these courses lie far outside the city. Um, so we were able to find this just beautiful piece of land um, very close to the city, and but it's on the north side. A lot of the other kind of builds are south and mm-hmm. some west. Um, but it's just a wonderful piece of land that right now, today, has not been touched by King Collins. And yet, I would say about half the holes, it seems like the fairways are already built. There's this just these beautiful wide corridors um, that just make you see the golf hole right away. Unlike say, you know, I can't imagine going to Bandon Dunes where Bandon Dunes was and imagining those holes with all the gorse. I'm like, Mm -hmm. my Kaiser, you are a genius for being able to see that. Um, But here it's like, wow, you really see it. You don't even have to really use your imagination because the land is, is right there ready to be shaped into a golf course. Um, and then from some high uh, high points on the piece of property and certainly from where the clubhouse will be, you'll be able to see the Nashville skyline. So you'll remember how close you are, but it goes down kind of into this valley where you'll feel totally remote and will absolutely forget that you're near a major city. Uh, so we're excited about that. I've I've seen a golf course be built. The first time I ever walked onto a golf course where the grass was growing in and holes were just shaped was at Forest Dunes and Tom Doak's reversible golf course. Yeah, the loop. The loop, yes. Um, That was the first time I'd ever seen that. It was back in 2015. And over the years, uh, I've seen it more and more. I've been very fortunate to kind of see courses in that kind of era or that period of construction, which is just so cool. Um, but this Bounty Club, it's called Bounty Club here, this course that we're building in Nashville, takes that experience to a whole new level because literally we're starting from a piece of land. We had to go through the exercise of naming the course, which we've done, picking a logo for the course, color palette, picking an architect not only for the course, but for the clubhouse, understanding what kind of membership we want. You know, it's like it's it's really cool to be part of the process from scratch. <laughs> it's, a, it's just a piece of land. So we are excited to work with King Collins. Um, we we just know that, you know, they'll bring the, the flavor that we're hoping for. We definitely want this to be a memorable experience, but we also love how they work with the land um, and, you know, the, the kind of the native grasses that they love and, you know, I think, and the and the bold greens, and you know, I and the walkable nature of the courses that they build. I think it's really going to be a special, special course. So, there's I'm excited. A, there's a lot of excitement around it. Actually, we've had a a, a 
a large amount of our new club members moved to Nashville in the last five years. I mean, you did, right? You yeah. made the transition, but it seems like it's blowing up and all of them are, are, are diehard golfers and they all kind of said the same thing. Like, you know, the courses are so far, uh, public golf is, oh. you know, needs, needs uplifted, some clubs, you know, some freshness. And when you guys announced, all of them were like, Okay, we got our eye on this. This is going to be yeah. be awesome. So, uh, and, and new club with all those new people living down there, we we want to come your way as well. Our golf society concept is is working elsewhere. So Nashville will be on our list. So hopefully we uh, collab Good. at some point down the road. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, the golf scene in Nashville uh, definitely is. You know, it could be better. <laughs> where, where are you playing? The, the where are you playing right now? Like, where where's your go to spot? Well, I play at the Grove. I'm down mm-hmm. there, member there. Um, before I joined the Grove, which was a year ago, I played all the public courses here. Um, I think Hermitage is the strongest for anyone who's interested. Hermitage, they got got sheep, Kevin. They have sheep. They have sheep at Hermitage. Sheep roaming around. (laughs) Really? I'm in. I need to come check that out. Yes. Um, and McCabe is great, but you know, I've, the number of times I've driven to McCabe only to drive back home because there were six foursomes on the tee box, on the first tee box. I mean, it's just, that's the kind of thing that you're going to get. It's completely mismanaged, (laughs) but it's a wonderful golf course. Uh, And then Harpeth Hills is wonderful. So it's great. We are looking at some, you know, we'd love to be able to make the, a public kind of golf course, a more enjoyable experience here in Nashville. That's on our radar to do um early tease but <laughs> but you know yes one project at a time <laughs> we have our hands that's, full that's right now with bounty club the smart approach right there don't don't stratify too much yes yes well ashley we'll, we'll uh let you get going thank you so much for, for joining us this has been really fun being able to yeah, chat with you likewise. thank but you for having behind- me uh, just because I met him and I really enjoyed my conversation with him, behind every great woman, there there's a great man. And Jeff, your your husband, yes, uh, aka Mr. Mayo, as he jokingly said, uh, <laughs> yes. he's he is he's just such a great dude. And you guys, as a like not only just like a couple and a family, but you guys as like golf buddies. I see the where you guys play, and and yeah. me and my wife have talked about. It. It's like we got to do that. Like we got to go play together more often. We got to have fun with it. Um, just, you got a beautiful family and, and you guys Thank make you. it look so fun. It is so fun. <laughs> we feel very fortunate. So awesome. Well, hopefully this isn't the last time we, we want to have you back on at some point to the show. And absolutely. Uh, I enjoy talking for, to both of you. Thank you for everything yeah. that you do for the game. Cheers. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you. Thank you. Ashley K. Mayo. I I tell you what, I screwed up. I told her I was going to ask her, or I told you at the, the intro that I was going to ask her what the K stood for. I totally forgot. You Yeah. What, just, Do you have any guesses? I mean, Catherine. I'm going with Catherine. That's a... Catherine with a K? Catherine, oh. oh, yeah. Catherine with a K. You got to spell with a K. I know. I, I know your sister is with a C, but... She's, yeah, yeah. I, I just get used to that. I think it's Kira. I don't know why I'm going with Kira. Ashley, if you're listening, please send us a note uh, <laughs> what your actual middle name is. Um, Professor, I, I, she just brings so much life and energy. I, my, my first thought is we're lucky to have Ashley Mayo in the game of golf. Oh, yeah. And I love, I love interviewing people that just make me feel like a unproductive individual, right? Someone that's achieved so much. And we, I think every week we just keep bringing those people on. And it's always, it's always great to just admire the people you're interviewing because of what they've accomplished and what they're in this case, bringing to the game of golf and just bringing to the people that they're around. Um, it's a blast. hundred percent. Yeah. They just like, and, and I didn't know any of the background on her upbringing and I, I really did not know that. And so like getting that context to her achievement, I mean, there's obviously, you know, something that burns inside of her to, to really uh, pursue and, and make golf better. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's everything from her, her journalism to what she's invested in and the new club in Nashville and, uh, the partnership with Justin Timberlake and 8am golf, like it goes on and on and on. And then raising two kids, which some days feels like an absolute, you know, uh, a brute of a task. <laughs> and she does it all with, 
With great. So yeah, I, I that's we'll, we'll have her back on the show, no doubt, because I just love chatting with her. Yeah, I think one of my takeaways from the points she made too was the simplicity, the simplicity of an equitable approach to golf in terms of valuing everybody, making it accessible to everybody and valuing everybody that's coming to the game and making them feel welcome, right? That it's not some sort of rocket science of like, you got to do this special thing, like you said, don't the paint the shafts pink and all these like stupid things that we do, probably more in the name of sales and equity, of course. But it's like, no, just everybody's a golfer. Treat them like golfers, right? Make sure the jargon's not there. Cause like, you know, you want the onboarding process into anything we do. It's always easier if it's accessible, right? We always talk about in the, in the psychology of mathematics, entry points into a, a problem solving, right? Like make it so people can enter into it no matter where they're coming from and reducing the jargon is important to that. After that, it's just it's simplicity, right? Just yeah. treat them like golfers. Don't treat them any differently and um, look to treat everybody the same. The country clubs out there that are listening, like make sure you have equal, you know, equal resources and equal facilities for everybody there, right? Make sure everybody can grab a drink if they want one. They can have restrooms to use. Like should be, none of that's rocket science. And if you're not yeah. doing it, that's just, that's your own choice and that's laziness, right? That's you making a choice. Like, don't be lazy. Just go about, make the changes you need to get through those growing pains get, and give that investment. Yeah, I, I took away a very similar point and, and on that that point of, of simplicity, it made me reflect on new club, what we've kind of grown with this membership. I think I think one thing we've done well and one thing we've done poorly, uh, quite quite honestly, from from her, what she had to say there was, uh, we we do talk to everybody like they're golfers, mm. and and what I mean is, you know, I give you a great example of pace of play. I one of my main, I, I boil my skin boils when clubs talk about uh, pace of play for women and how poor pace of play is for women specifically, and how people t- speak to those women that maybe they maybe there is a pace of play issue, but the way they speak to them is so different from how they speak to their their male members, and the reality is. Pace of play is pace of play. If, if someone, mm-hmm. you have your policies, you have your rules, speak to people like people. And, and we've taken that approach since day one. No accommodations needed in that uh, regard. Uh, have clear policies. Make them simple. Make them that everyone can understand and communicate them the same way to everybody. So I think we've, we've always talked about that as a, as a club and our captains. And, and I think we exceed on that. One where I, I think we've fallen uh, sub- subject to, which happens in the game of golf, it happens on this show, Kevin, is the jargon. Yeah. The jargon, man. And I am such a history geek now that I take these terms and these methodologies and these things and I go down these rabbit holes and we we share with our captains and it's romantic in a way, but there might be some exclusionary practice in in just the way we speak. And and I think when she was talking about her time at Golf Digest and trying to dissect, you know, what is it about this thing, this game of golf that both the avid 46-year male golfer that loves this thing and the the two-year golfer uh, that's brand new to it also loves this thing. What is the commonality and how we speak to both those people? Mm -hmm. That is harder to do, takes more time, but it's whittling down really the true essence of it. And and sometimes, you know, we just came out of our, our handicapping committee meetings and my God, talk about jargon and God bless the USGA and RNA and the tasks that they have, but whoa, that is not like exclusive and welcoming, right? We should we should be challenging ourselves to, to say these things more simply. And uh, and anyways, I'm I'm getting off on a tangent, but she she really reminded me of the value in that, and uh, and you know trying to be better. Yeah, I think we we've to relate it so everybody can I guess situate themselves on the experience, right? We've all had that friend that's newly obsessive on something that we're not obsessed with, right? And they come to talk to you about it, and what happens? Your eyes glaze over. Right. So like, that's what we need to avoid. And I think we love golf so much when you get around two of us, that's how we talk, right? We just dive in and we're obsessive. And we got to remember, like in terms of helping people enter the game, like we we don't want to convey our obsessiveness in a way they can't understand, right? We want to convey that this is awesome, but can't go down that jargon hole early on. You know what we need? We need like uh, a, a person, uh, and maybe we'll find somebody that's listening. If you're if you're a person that listens, and sometimes this show gets like way into the jargon or the weeds of this of this beautiful game, and you're like, "What the hell did they just talk about?" Uh, let us know. Give us a shout. Uh, send us a note. Uh, I'm Matt at newclub.golf. You can send us a, an email, and we will like maybe bring you on the show 
and and we'll we'll see how we're doing. Maybe like as a temperature check and uh, and just making sure that this is a conversation that all can be a part of. Because gr- golf, you know, not the lip service of grow the game, but if it is gonna uh, bring in more people of diverser backgrounds, of you know, different sexes, different abilities, that that does need to happen. That has to that has to happen. So give give us a shout. Come on the show. We'd love to have you. Professor, uh, thanks to NV5 Invitational for sponsoring the pod this week. Um, we got a, a pretty cool guest coming up related to how the NV5 Invitational is going to be streaming this year. So uh, golf future stars are coming back to the Glen Club uh, with our summer dates, July 25th through 30th. Uh, the Corn Ferry Tour season will be heating up and you can watch the game's future stars compete for a coveted spot on the PGA Tour. All four rounds will be streamed by Barstool.tv with appearances from well-known Barstool sports personalities. Uh, all, the, all the guys will be on that show. So I'm interested to see what they do. They have not done this in golf. And we talk about the changing uh, media landscape in golf. NV5 Invitational is, is doing that. So head over to nv5invitational.com and uh, check out the tickets. Check out the, the streaming that will be happening July 25th and uh, enjoy the Glen Club in July. Yeah, I think, remember, consumers, this is your chance to flex your consumer power, right? We always talk about the khaki product of the PGA Tour on TV. Get out there and support the Corn Ferry Tour. Watch the Barstool streaming on it. And that's how you get things to change. So we get to see more of these guys when they're they're coming up through the ranks. There you go. Our weight, throw our, our collective weight around. Uh, Kevin, have a great week. Everybody listening, thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah.